Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Hope everyone had a restful and enjoyable Thanksgiving Day weekend. Yeah, what did you end up doing, Dan? Stuff. Stuff. Uh, And uh, yourself, um, did you watch sports or did you go the route of John Cass and just watch soccer? What what did you do? Um, We watched the England-USA game. That was so boring. Oh, 0-0. Nil-nil, as they say. Um, No, but I actually watched the Lincoln Way East Loyola Ramblers uh, high school another class championship eight, for, eight championship game. Another state championship for John Holosek. Yeah, yep. yeah. It was good. But actually, I spent the whole week at North interesting, Ridge Prep. Interesting note on that. Yes. Six oh, yeah. of the eight state champions. Yeah. Six of the eight classes, you know, 1A to 8A, Catholic schools. Okay, there you go. That's all right. No. But that Lincoln Way East, that quarterback number 15, that little guy, he was so fun to watch. I mean, anytime he couldn't pass the ball, he just ran, and he was fearless. So Yeah, it was great. I, no, was it was really did, impressive the you three break points down the they game? put up. Yeah, 13 to 3 was 13, the score. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. It was great. The John Holosek is the best football coach in the state mm-hmm. of Illinois. I know. And they look like they're playing, you know, the Iowa team with those linemen there. But also, I was at Northridge Prep all week because they have their annual basketball tournament. And everywhere I turned, oh, hi, Amy. Where's Dan? Is Dan coming? Well, your son's going to play. Isn't Dan going to be here? And um, I, it was that great crew. Have you met Will? Dan's Ray? not here. Dan's not here. Is Dan coming? Like finally, after five days of at the tournament, I said, "Listen, Dan is not coming. He so you're going to have to deal with me, okay?" Dan, just tell him Dan is a figment of my imagination. He doesn't really exist. <laughs> I tried to say, "Well, he's in the bathroom. He'll be here, you know, at halftime." Or, um, but yeah, we won the tournament this year. Amundsen High School. <clears throat> last year we came in last place, and this year we beat Northridge Prep. We beat Wheeling High School by 22 points. Uh, it was very impressive. And then Northridge, which is very well coached by Will Ray as their head coach, wonderful man. Um, he teaches them the fundamentals. They're a great team, but they're a young team. Yeah, so college, we, I mean, we, Coach Loyola. Yeah, and it, we still beat them by it was 12 points. So it was pretty impressive uh, for us. Thanks for that uh, high school sports beat well, wrap-up deal. Saying, that's Thank how you. I spent my Thanksgiving watching uh-huh. high school basketball. Uh, I was uh, fixated on the Macy's Day Parade, of course. Oh, of course. Was not, I mean, if I can't participate in a parade, the, the next best thing is to be able to watch it. <laughs> and so I did, and there was this, a delightful moment. Uh, it's just so much fun. It's so real, and the... Um, uh, reviewers, I guess you call them reporters. Yes. Um, they're so genuine. They're so full of personality. Yeah. It, it just brings the whole holiday to light. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This is uh, NBC NBC reporter, reviewer Ooh, on the parade name, beat, Dylan Dreyer. Oh, she does. Oh, so she does the weather 
But Al Roker, who's never missed a Macy's Day Parade, got a blood clot. <laughs> so she had to fill in at the last minute. I'm not A blood clot that. is a punchline for no. you, apparently. That's <laughs> Uh, I know. I don't know why I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was barraged by the wall to wall Al Roker coverage on the in the from the tabloids as well. I did notice that. Uh, but Dylan Dreyer, you know, she's reporting on all of the entrants as they're making their way past her, and it's again vivid. It's like I was there. That's the quality of the <laughs> review. Um, but then she gets a call out of nowhere. I think I'm getting a phone call. You know, I. I'm not one to take a phone call during TV. Oh, but I think I think I should answer this one. Hello, Mr. President. What? <laughs> oh, there's. A I don't think I can hear you. Can you hear me, Mr. President? He's trying to work that contraption. Yeah. 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 Is that you? You got Hello? the phone upside Happy down. Oh, 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 Mr. oh President, there you are. are. You there? Robert here. Oh, <laughs> I was so worried this call wasn't going to go through. How are you? We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> You're watching your parade. You're doing I, a good job. Oh, thank you. That's the oh. magic of the holiday for me. <laughs> oh, gross. The- totally unscripted. Uh, the president just happens to catch. Dylan Dreyer while she's on the air reporting uh, on the parade. What a what a wonderful organic moment I was able to experience. <laughs> so natural. It I was mean, very. It was very natural. First of all. Um, they didn't even know they called her. They did, that's, right. how, that's how spontaneous it was. And he can't even call somebody without Jill by his side? What do they have, yeah. two lines? Honey, now talk now. Talk now. <laughs> yeah, oh. That infernal contraption, the uh, mobile phone. Um, so Thanksgiving also, though, uh, you know, it's time for family and fellowship. Right. That spills over, though, when you're watching some of these uh, events. So I saw there was a fight uh, in the stands at the uh, soccer match between Argentina and Mexico. Yeah. Well, there was also a fight in a bar in Chicago, too. Well, yeah. Um, yeah the, the fight in the bar in Chicago was as you would expect, more violent than actually in the stands uh, in the arena. And by the way, is there anything more hysterical than people getting into a fight over which country has the best soccer team? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, this is uh, on division. There, three cops were injured in this fight trying to break it up, uh, and it was invo- involved men and women, 15 people outside this bar on West Division at 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> the mug My country's are, better are than great. yours. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you see those mug shots, Dan? Yeah. yeah. As I tweeted over the weekend, uh, arguing about which country has the best soccer team is argue- is like arguing about which Kardashian is the most chaste. <laughs> sort of. You're missing the larger point. Right. Uh, another related story, too. I like these, you know, family gatherings around Thanksgiving or f- with friends where you can beat on each other watching a soccer match at at a bar on division. Uh, this is out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and by the way, have you have you watched the uh, new series with Sylvester Stallone, speaking of Tulsa, Tulsa King? I haven't yet, but I, I you know, actually I watched about a half of an episode. It's only a few episodes in. It's, a, it's the, t- Taylor Sheridan is the showrunner, the same guy who did Yellowstone. and does Yellowstone. And it's, uh... And they promote the heck out of it if you're watching Yellowstone. Well, right, yeah. 
trying to get the residual viewership. I um, did you watch it? Yeah, I've watched the first couple episodes. Eh, I'm open minded. It hasn't won me over, but I'm open minded. It has its moments. Anyway, in real life, Tulsa officers called about six thirty p.m. on Thanksgiving. Uh, they had to take um, John Armstrong into custody because he opened fire on his stepfather and his stepfather's daughter. It started when uh, a fight broke out while they were playing a game of Monopoly. Monopoly? Uh, Yeah, Monopoly. After turning the board over and turning the furniture over, uh, the two guys that got in a fight were told to take the disagreement outside which they did and then stepson pulled out a gun after getting cut in the head with you know flying figures i guess from the monopoly game i don't know a paper cut from one of the cards uh chased his stepfather and stepsister down the street pointing the gun and he uh fired a shot he was taken into custody uh and uh, booked on assault with a deadly weapon you know family time family time yeah I do. You know, I mean, it probably, you know, I'm not paying that rent at Park Place. And then it just escalated from there is what, sort of what I envision. But, I mean, you know, board games can get intense. Oh, my God. What, uh, what's intense see- is we played family football, and I got leveled by my nephew, who's six foot five, two 220 pounds. Oh, really? Full tackle? Full tackle. He was running a route. I was running a route, and we smashed. And all I remember, I saw stars as I flew through the air and then rolled. But I had to thank God for Northridge Prep because their trainer, Michael McCormick, it worked on me the last two days. I came early to the games, and he helped me out with my knee and with my neck. It's pretty serious. Oh. And he said there's so many people that have football injuries right now from playing well, family football. Well, right, because you're old people, and <laughs> hey. you think you're not old people. And then it's, it doesn't even need to be tackled. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure nobody was, like, tackling, form tackling you. Well, I mean, uh, it was supposed it, to be touch, but there was no, yes, there was a lot of, of tackling. And then one of yeah. my nephews. There's a lot of falling as well. One was. of my nephews brought his cleats. So we're at Kirkwood High School on the turf, sure. and he has cleats. So, I mean, we're all slipping and sliding because it rained. Not fair. I'm like, next year we'll bring pads. Well, that's the point is it's like the Monopoly game. Are we playing a serious game yeah. of Monopoly or not? Or, Are we playing a serious game of football or not? You don't want to wear cleats? Don't wear cleats. I'm wearing cleats because I'm here to win. That's what he did. Yeah. Just and like, their team won, too, because cleats guy caught every pass. You don't want to bring a gun to a Monopoly game? Don't bring the gun. I'm bringing a gun because I'm here to win. Same deal. Uh, Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. 
First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, before Thanksgiving, President Trump had a meeting at uh, Mar-a-Lago with uh, Kanye West, Yee, as he's known to, I don't know who exactly. I, the I, younger form, generation. Formerly Adidas, I know that, but oh, not anymore. Oh, too soon, Dan. Uh, yeah. The so, man has lost billions of dollars. Uh, so Kanye and uh, this guy, Nick Fuentes. Never heard of him. That's what Trump said. I've not. Who's heard of Nick Fuentes? Three one two six four two five six zero zero turnkey depro answer line. You can always reach us too on our text line six four six three six. Type in D A then a quick comment. We're sub, we're we're led to believe this was about Kanye's announcement that he's going to run for president in twenty twenty four, and uh, two erstwhile contenders for the presidency in twenty twenty four, hashing things out among friends. Yeah. There's, there was a report in Mediaite that Kanye asked Trump to be his running mate. Yeah, that's what he that's what he claims. Uh-huh. There's audio Here, of him saying that, too. Here's Kanye's debriefing with uh, Milo Yiannopoulos in tow uh, of the meeting. I think the thing that Trump was most perturbed about, me asking him to be my vice president, I think that was like lower <laughs> on the list of things that caught him off guard. It was the fact that I walked in with intelligence. So Trump is really impressed with Nick Fuentes. And Nick Fuentes, unlike so many of the lawyers and so many people that he was left with on his 2020 campaign, he's actually a loyalist. When he didn't know where the lawyers is, you'll still have your lawyer list. And when all the lawyers said, forget it, Trump's done, there were loyalists running up in the White House, right? And my question would be, why, when you had the chance, did you not free the January Sixers? And I came to him as someone who loves Trump, and I said, go and get Corey back. Go and get these people that the media tried to cancel and told you to step away from. He basically gives me this would-be mob-esque kind of story talking to some kid from the south side of Chicago trying to sound mobby or whatever. He goes into the story about all that he went through to get Alice Johnson out of jail and how he didn't do it for Kim, but he did it for me. But then he goes on to say that Kim is a You could tell her I said that. And I was thinking, like, that's the mother of my children. Since we know, and all the Christians in America that love Trump know that Trump is a conservative, we're going to demand that you hold all policies directly to the Bible. When Trump started basically screaming at me at the table telling me I was going to lose, I mean, has that ever worked for anyone in history? (laughs) You're going to lose. Tell him he's going to lose. I'm like, well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, Trump. You're talking to Ye. Perfect. Is it yay or ye? I thought it was ye. Is ye z is the shoe? Yeah. Right. Ye, yay, ye. Oh, and by the way, Goodwill's not selling ye easy shoes in protest of wow. Kanye West. Like, Powerful statement. Goodwill gets involved, please. You know that piercing. kid from the South Side, Kanye. Yeah. Um, he he may be returning to the South Side sooner than he had planned. At this rate, the whole thing is bizarre. What do you make of it? 312-642-5600, turnkey dot pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey dot pro text line. It's just, just the circus that loves. 
the um, bread and circuses, if you will, that the public so loves because it's so easy to heat moral scorn. It gets everybody riled up and talking about Trump. And I, I think Kanye is somewhat similarly situated. I don't know though why he's why he would otherwise be hanging out and extolling the virtues of a racist goofball like Nick Fuentes other than for the spectacle of it all. Right. He can't get an audience with anybody. So Nick Fuentes, he can get an audience with him. Trump mistakenly let him in his well, house the night before well, Thanksgiving well, for dinner. Whoa, 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 whoa. He, he doesn't need an audience with Nick Fuentes. The question is, is this spectacle for spectacle's sake? Mistakenly let him in the house? Wait, it was an accident? No, it wasn't an accident. It was a poor judgment. Maybe it was poor judgment. Or maybe it was something Trump wanted to do and Kanye wanted to do. These are sort of master manipulators of public opinion, are they not? Is that not what the evidence shows? They're both billionaires in part because they're master manipulators of the press and they're master deliverers of the bread and circuses that so much of the American public loves to consume. I mean, do you do you see this as a deranged Kanye and deranged Trump and these are you know two people that deserve each other they should run as a ticket because they both have terrible judgment or do they have an insight into the body politic that doesn't follow politics but uh, a large percentage of them whom do vote and they want to be entertained they want spectacle just like they get every night on television 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro answer line 64636 type in D.A., then a quick comment. I, I never heard of this Nick Fuentes person. You know where Nick Fuentes went to high school? I don't know. Where? Lyons Township. Really? I think he was class president at Lyons Township High School. Wow. He, he's, so what's he's, his rap? Who is he, an influencer? I don't, I'm sorry. No, he's not an influencer. He's Well, I mean, he's like a, a white supremacist, really. I mean, he said all kinds. I mean, I, I haven't followed him very much because— why waste your time with people like this? And the right. people that the D.C. press corps obsesses about are marginal characters at best. So I don't feel the need to spend the the limited time I have on such unproductive ventures and getting into the weeds of Nick Fuentes. I've seen enough of what he said to know he what he's about. And I don't know if he's truly a virulent racist or if he's just a provocateur a la Milo Yiannopoulos and is just trying to make a spectacle of himself to get attention and maybe to make some money, build a, enough of an audience to make money on social media or what. I, I don't know. I don't know what his motivations are. I don't much care. Well, he's a Holocaust but he's not, but he's, but, well, well, right. He, yes, right. He's a racist goofball is yes. what I said. He's a, he's a goof. He says ridiculous things. And... Uh, Kanye says a lot of ridiculous things, and from time to time, Trump says a lot of ridiculous things. They're not on the order of what Nick Fuentes says. Um, but, you know, I, I think of Kanye's return to Twitter. Did you see what Kanye tweeted when he was uh, allowed back on Twitter? No, what'd he do? Shalom. Oh. <laughs> that, that, to me, just screams wow. instigator. That does not scream, you know... Um, ideological anti-Semite. It's uh, anti-Semite. It screams instigator. It screams, look at me. And so, you know, you'll pardon me if I don't take the bait and join the chorus of the button-down Wall Street Journal Ed Board types with this hand wringing over this meeting. 
you know, and the the political establishment. Oh, uh, jump the shark, and this is disturbing, and so on and so forth. I, I know what Nick Fuentes is, and I know he's not to be taken seriously. I know he is to be dismissed as somebody who is not important, who doesn't have important ideas, who is. I don't know. Again, I don't know if this is an act or if he's a racist. The things he says are uh, abhorrent and racist and ignorant. He's a clown. He was president of student council, by the way. And Kanye says a lot of things that are buffoonish, too. And he makes a spectacle himself, like when he went to the White House with Jim Brown. And he and Jim Brown had that, you know, across the desk in the Oval Office meeting with Trump. And Kanye... Uh, you know, Jim Brown was even keel and Kanye was, you know, make, making a spectacle of himself, being cogent sometimes and saying things that were difficult to decipher other times. So, you know, I just I don't like getting played. And I feel like that this is a play yeah. on the public here. But that's that's just me. That's just my intuition. And so, I mean, yes, on the Nick Fuente stuff. And uh, on this, on much of what some of what Kanye said too. But although I tell you, you know the whole Adidas thing because there's a big piece in the Wall Street Journal of the weekend about how Adidas executives worry that Kanye was a ticking time bomb. He could melt down at any time, and what to do about him, and maybe they should uh, disassociate from him and sever their relationship prior to what occurred, and so on and so forth. But then, well, Yeezy products are eight percent of our gross sales, so. I don't we make it too much money to cut ties. So I don't know what all this back and forth. And as Chappelle mentioned this, actually, in his monologue on Saturday Night Live a couple weeks ago, brilliant. He alluded to it. You know, know, Adidas, you know what Adidas stands for? You know where the name originates? I don't. What is it? Adi Das. Adolf Dassler. The Dassler brothers who founded Adidas in Germany. Were members of the Nazi Party. Fact. And so, you know, all this this moralizing, given the foundings of uh, of Adidas, is uh, sort of rich when it comes to Kanye um, living in a bit of a glass shoe house or glass shoe box, aren't we? David and Winneka, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, so, got so much to say here. It's so many different angles, but I think that would be a genius play. Uh, Trump and Kanye running together. Uh, you know, first and foremost, dispels the all the racism thing about you know Trump and this and that. That's the first thing. And then, if you think uh, I about don't, it, I don't, I don't know that it does anything of the sort, given Kanye's troubles. But okay. And uh, if he know, I, if he if he ran with Tim Scott, if he ran with. Clarence Thomas. Uh, it's just, it's a, it, does that does that end the calls that Trump is a racist? He's a white nationalist. He's a white supremacist. No, no. it does not. Yeah, pro- probably not. But put it this way: of all the circus and, and craziness that we got going on right now, look, 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 it, the debate could be, you know, Kanye and Trump on one team, uh, Kamala and uh, Sleepy on the other, and they could just do like a round of Jeopardy. And I guarantee you, Kanye and Trump. <laughs> Celebrity Jeopardy to decide the presidency. Um, uh, it, yeah. With this crew, I don't know if Jeopardy may be a little bit of a reach. That, that's, more that's like a celebrity, ask. maybe it's more like celebrity password. I think maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know. But I, as much as you know, this uh, this stuff, you know, annoys me because you feel compelled to talk about it because it's what everybody's talking about. Um, 
that doesn't mean there's still not an underlying thing with respect to Trump. And I got to say, I was um, I was interested in this piece that um, a former Northwestern law professor, who's emeritus now, Stephen Presser, wrote about Trump. And he sort of says some of the things I said about last week, particularly with respect to Trump's legal problems. He writes, uh, does Professor Stephen Pressler, uh, again, Professor Emeritus of Legal History at Northwestern's Pritzker School of Law. Those who say that Trump's time has passed and that his ability through unrestrained and boorish behavior to alienate Americans such as single women and suburban voters renders him unelectable. And it remains true that powerful forces in the media, academy, and in many of the state governments are arrayed against him. Nevertheless, Trump does learn from his mistakes and his lately more subdued tone. This must have been written before the meeting with, at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. His real record of accomplishment and his innate political talent still make him the most formidable Republican contender. His ongoing persecution by corrupt state and federal officials can actually be turned into a powerful endorsement through carefully crafted anti-corruption messaging. Uh, he will have to convince his fellow Republicans through the primary campaign, but he's done it before, and he still represents the best chance we have to reclaim a government committed to the restoration of the rule of law and the sovereignty of the American people. You know, the the whole sort of Batman, not the hero you want, the hero you need sort of argument, um, warts and all. Uh, but Presser's point is that Trump is the only candidate, and I think DeSantis has done some of this, so I, I think he deserves more credit that he's given in this column. But the only candidate who's called out the bipartisan corruption endemic to the Beltway, and that is a powerful populist force that he still enjoys. It shouldn't be dismissed. Let me put it in another way. This was from a, a couple of months ago, but this is such a good riff. Uh, we've mentioned Chappelle. Here's another comedian. His name is Andrew Schultz. Listen to his and, and, and think about this, too, in the context of this meeting at Mar-a-Lago with two master marketers in Kanye and Trump. Andrew Schultz on the MAGA hat. Joe Biden. No. <laughs> Biden ain't got no merch. Like, that's how I judge presidents now, bro. Can you move merch or can you not? <laughs> Trump had merch, bro. That MAGA hat was iconic. <laughs> bro, that was white people's teardrop tattoo. That's what that was. <laughs> you saw a white dude with that hat, you were like, yeah! <laughs> he don't give a f***! <laughs> In public, dog! In public? The hat is the last thing you put on your body before you leave the house. It's so easy not to wear it. But some people look at that hat like, how difficult do I want my day to be? Fucking, <laughs> I choose violence today. <laughs> I love the MAGA hat is the white people's teardrop tattoo. Perfect. Uh, that's good. That's a good line. But, um, but move, merch. move merch. Can you move merch? Can you move merchandise? It's, I mean, you know, political campaigns are exercises in marketing. Uh-huh. Just think about it. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So today's the day, the last day to file to run for mayor of the city of Chicago. So Amy, people want to know, what's it going to be? You in or out? Well, we better start collecting petition or signatures we right got now. Five o'clock. I have till five o'clock today. Yeah, we could do it. Remember when we trained for the marathon in a day? We did the long run in the morning, then took a break, and then did the short run. So why yeah. not? I need what? How many? Twelve thousand five hundred? How many signatures? Yeah. Do I need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, no, I'm. I will not be running for mayor. Because oh, um, that's disappointing. I'm sorry, because I thought you were going to run for mayor. I'm not a Chicago resident. I'm not even Darn allowed it. to talk about the mayor's race. I'm not allowed to talk about the city of Chicago. Oh, that's or the state of Illinois. Because I'm not a resident. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Dot Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Dot Pro Text Line. You know, it reminds me because you can't talk about abortion either because you don't have a vagina. You know, it's the same. Not argument. yet. I don't. Not- <laughs> You just wait, sister. Yeah. You don't uh, know this Christmas I, I, surprise I got going I on get, down I under. I fix that real quick. How'd that serve you, huh? <laughs> um, it's the same argument, though, and it makes me laugh when people say that. Well, well who cares what Dan says? He doesn't live here. Like, he, <laughs> no, okay. Okay. Do you care what people who do live there say when they say the same things I do? Or did you care what I said for the first 50 years of my life when I did live there? I know. No. <laughs> so, so it's not, it's not the physical... It's not my physical location that's the issue, is it? And this is the point, isn't it? The point is, we were talking, I mean, this is sort of a corollary to our conversation before the news at the top of the hour about the Trump, Kanye, Nick Fuentes meeting. Can we just be serious and understand that a majority of people in places like Chicago and in big cities around America... And in some states in their entirety, they are not serious people, and they're not looking for serious people. They're looking for spectacle. Yep. This is uh, why they find it kitschy and fun if you have a pansexual dwarf lecturing you about uh, public safety. Or you have a morbidly obese trust fund baby lecturing you about personal health yeah they, they love it well the spectacle is going to continue this morning because remember mayor lightfoot she said she's going to turn in her petitions on the last day she may need a wheelbarrow 
or a front loader. Uh, 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 oh, no, no, no. We whatever. want her to come in with Census Cowboy and hit bring in her ballot. So when you sure. come on, the, on, the, on, on November 28th and you see the wheelbarrow um, or the hand truck that we pull in with all of our petitions, I think that will answer your question. Answer what? You got a lot of signatures? Big deal. Yeah. Any any Yahoo can do that. I mean, Spanky the Clown could do that. Big deal. The But the spectacle piece, yeah, Census Cowboy right. playing dress-up. She should file as a Rona Buster with Allison Arwadi, the, the Wonder Twins. Um, do the whole thing because that's TikTok. what people care about. Let me give you an example of this. This is Sam Sanchez, who is the chairman of the Illinois Restaurant Association. Oh, yes. And he's the principal in the Third Coast Hospitality Group, which has uh, restaurants in town like Moe's Cantina and La Luna. Here's what he posted to Twitter, or to uh, Instagram, I mean. I'm watching Flannery on Fire on Sunday morning. Saw many mayoral candidates talk about crime. I haven't heard a solution. If you understand how the judicial system works, you would know who is responsible for most of the crime that's happening in our city and in Cook County. Cook County State's Attorney. Approves all charges, and after the police makes the arrest, sick, has full discretion on who to charge or not to charge with a crime, and should prosecute, but short 235 prosecutors now. Cook County Chief Justice sets the rules and standard of the judicial system on who to release or hold, hold without bail. Judges have the power over a mayor or a prosecutor. That's Sam Sanchez the chairman of the Illinois Restaurant Association, running interference for triple threat. She doesn't have anything to do with crime. And to the extent she does, he tweeted uh, screenshots of November of this year versus November of last year from HeyJackass.com with the number of uh, shot and killed and shot and wounded. And, you know, we're down a little bit. In November, we only had 16 homicides as compared to 52 last November. So that's supposed to be cause for celebration. That's supposed to be indicative of some long-term trend. Go lesbians. Go lesbians. Because she tweeted that out, yes. She should do, she should, that should be on her yard signs. Right. It will be on the yard signs that I make up for her, for sure. Mm -hmm. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Can, Can we just be serious? I mean, just... Be honest that we're not serious. Right, because there's going to the, be a spectacle today. You know it when she turns on her petition. For, forget today. I'm Always, talking about the entire every thing. Every day, the whole thing. Doing TikToks, the entire thing. karaoke contests, everything's a distraction and a joke. Everything we, she's done is not serious. We, no, no, no. We're not serious. Oh, it's our problem. Okay. We, we don't want serious. We don't want problems. Sam Sanchez, where's your plan? That that's that is the the pseudo intellectual bon mot. Where's your plan? Where's your plan? Where's your plan to combat crime? Uh huh. That's what's lacking, Sam. Nobody has a plan to combat crime. Uh, and, and to the extent you listen to these other mayoral candidates, I mean Cam Buckner, who is the sponsor of the Safety Act, calls Lightfoot's tenure. A pandemic of violence. This is a guy who <laughs> wants to defund the police, and, and deprosecute criminals, and decarcerate the convicted. Yeah. And he is, do the pandemic of violence, 
two-step. Oh, please. What a hypocrite. Forget. But nobody cares. We're not looking for serious people. We're looking to be entertained. And the more nonsensical, the more laughable are the positions taken by people who said one thing and are now saying 180 degrees the other thing, the better. The last thing we want is some boring green eye shades guy talking about bond ratings or unfunded pension liabilities or putting together a 10-point plan to combat violent crime. Yawn. We don't want it. But that's what we need. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's what, what I not need. What we... If you're sensical and logical, that's what we need. That's Nobody not. Cares. They're, they're, they're not enough sensible people left. It's just the sensible people just won't confront it, but they're not enough sensible people left. Where's your plan to combat violence? Oh, gosh, I don't know, Sam Sanchez. Businessman. Businessman of, you know, a big going concern, a big restaurant group. And he just Chairman of the over. Illinois Restaurant yeah, Association. Yeah, but he rolled over during COVID. He let, you know, thank you, can I have another when it came to COVID restrictions. I know. He never fought back because they for himself are all, or for his fellow man and woman. In the because they are all sentinels of the state. And they see the people don't want anything serious, so they go along with it because what do I care? I mean, maybe a little bit more dicey operating a business in Chicago for my employees and patrons, but what do I care? It works. It works for me. It still goes. I still make money. It's fine. And, I mean, and, and you know, I'll, I'll participate in the mass delusion. Why not? Cherry picking a one month and and extrapolating some larger meaning behind it in terms of where violent crime is. Um, also, we're down 235 prosecutors, but he doesn't say anything about being down 2,000 police and the inability to get police uh, police recruits to go to the academy to backfill those open positions. I mean. Because it doesn't matter. It's just can't. It's just throwing out stuff. Just it doesn't, doesn't. It doesn't need to hold up logically. There doesn't need to be any sort of consistency through that, that's thread through the information that he posts or anybody else. It's just you know. It's just Instagram talk. It's just cocktail chatter. Don't you get it? Which is why the whole. Paul Vallis thing. I mean, Paul Vallis could, you know, ride around uh, Inglewood on a unicycle in uh, a leotard and nobody pay attention. Because he's a bore. He's got a 10 point plan to reduce yeah, violence. And he wants to talk about school choice and improving educational opportunities for minority, particularly minority kids in the city, since that's 85 percent of the student body population and CPS. Well, that's not interesting. That's too serious. Well, I'll never forget the first time he ran and one of my former friends was like, nope, get on the train, get on the Lori Lightfoot train. Paul Vallis is the past. Lori Lightfoot, she's gay, she's black, she's a female, she's it. Exactly. Like, well, what credentials does she have? What if if Paul Vallis, if Paul Vallis identified as a ficus plant or something like that, maybe he'd have a chance. Right. Or non-binary or <laughs> change genders. I mean, I don't know. I think boring might be good, but that's what the city needs—somebody smart like him. But I don't know if this place will embrace it.
I just don't think that they will. You know, I, I don't, I hate to break this news to Sam Sanchez. Yeah. Uh, CWB, uh, let me introduce you to number 50. Oh, no. Twice convicted gun offender shot a random driver while on bail for a felony. Prosecutors say a man who was on bail for selling nearly $3,500 worth of cocaine to an undercover cop shot a motorist who was driving to work near his home November 3rd. He is the 50th person this year accused of killing or shooting or attempting to kill or shoot someone in Chicago while awaiting trial for a felony. Those crimes have resulted in 88 victims and 22 dead. I, I don't know how to break this to Sam Sanchez. Let me introduce you to number 51. Oh, no. Chicago drug dealer, free on felony bail, beat a customer to death in a vacant lot for paying him with fake money, prosecutors say. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. On the northwest corner of Chicago and Ridgeway Avenues in Humboldt Parks, it's a vacant lot. Chicago Police Department surveillance camera hangs from a light pole next to a small hand-painted billboard that declares the corner a safety zone. Ironic. Uh, in the vacant lot around 5.40 p.m. on November 9th, must have been celebrating Pritzker's re-election. Uh, this guy used a brick or rock to beat a 52-year-old Michael Foley to death because Foley gave him fake money in a drug deal. But wait a second. It's a safety zone that says no gambling, drugs, or guns allowed. No gambling allowed? Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. That's the state's province. He was on bail for allegedly possessing a stolen motor vehicle. He is the 51st person accused of killing or shooting or trying to kill or shoot someone in Chicago while awaiting felony trial while awaiting trial for a felony this year. Uh, that would be 89 victims now, 23 dead, just this year. All preventable crimes. Uh, I hate to break this news to Sam Sanchez and the other deep thinkers in the business community. Caretaker on electronic monitoring for shooting and gun cases sexually assaulted a woman with developmental disabilities. Prosecutors say a woman with the cognitive abilities of a six-year-old was sexually assaulted twice by a residential care facility worker who was on electronic monitoring for allegedly possessing a firearm while he was on bail for shooting a guy. How did he even have that So, um, yeah, he was, so, so, I mean, this is a sexual assault. It's not a shooting uh, or murdering somebody while on electronic monitoring waiting for, uh, trial on felony charges but i don't know uh sexually assaulting a woman with developmental disabilities seems like a crime that would normally shock the conscience but we don't we just turn our eyes away and say that's terrible but what does kim what does Lori lightfoot have to do with that says sam sanchez nothing nothing despite the fact that she's been an antagonist to police and a de facto defund the police advocate her protestations Otherwise, uh, protestations to the contrary. Otherwise, since before she was mayor, when she was on that, you know, star chamber uh, reform, the police board, she institutes, reinstitutes a consent decree on the Chicago police, even after it's rescinded by uh, the Trump Department of Justice. And I don't know, Sam Sanchez and those restaurateurs, you would think they'd have a pretty good relationship with police. You'd think they'd want a pretty good relationship with police. Maybe they, Sam Sanchez in particular, should talk to some police to tell you, to tell him, as they told us, what Lori Lightfoot has meant to the morale of the police department, what she's meant in terms of the personnel decisions that she's made, the leadership of the police department, and how that has impacted morale and the ability of police to do their job. How many of the public pronouncements that she's made that 
essentially indict police officers well before we know all the facts, yep. particularly in, in police-involved shootings that we've gone over over the years. And with the Colorado shooter, what she tweeted out, like, this blank has got to stop now. What about what's been going on in your town, she doesn't in have your city? To do with it. She doesn't every have weekend. To do with it. That's a light weekend for us, what happened Sam Sanchez, you're not listening. Yeah. She doesn't have anything to do with it. Okay. It's the prosecutor and the chief judge. Okay. So if you're thinking about voting on violent crime when you vote for mayor, if you're thinking that's the issue that's going to motivate you come February and April, well, you better not. The mayor doesn't have anything to do with violent crime. That's what Sam Sanchez and the business community say. And if you say anything other than Sam Sanchez says, like Chris Kibzinski did, the CEO of McDonald's, then you get chastised by Lightfoot as racist, not knowing what you're talking about. He should get his facts straight before he opens his pie hole. And that quiets the other otherwise cowardly business elites in the city, doesn't it? I mean, it was a mild statement, but it represented a revolutionary event when Chris Kabzinski publicly criticized the mayor's office and what's happening, and, and by extension, the entire power structure in the city and the county because of the lawlessness on the streets. And then that just dissipated. He was told to shut up, and he shut up, and everybody else did too, except Sam Sanchez because you're allowed to applaud. So he applauds Lightfoot and blame shifts to people who are not up for election now, and then we'll just continue to do the musical chairs depending on who's up for election. And that's fine. Just play dress up, have a karaoke contest, uh, make sure Lollapalooza comes back, Keep it fun. Keep it light. Tell us that uh, we've accomplished so much, but there's a lot of more work to do. Says Stay that. the course. Collectively, we need to work together, blah, blah, blah. Stay the course and focus on your navel, your identity in this identitarian city. It's fun. Self-indulgence is fun. And there's no cost to it. Unless you run into one of these guys on electronic monitoring, of course. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560. The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Economists are weighing in on the uh, projected impact on housing prices of the Fed's activity, specifically increasing interest rates. And uh, I'll give you a couple of examples here. Jeremy Siegel, who's a professor of finance at Wharton. I expect housing prices to fall 10 to 15 percent, and the housing prices are accelerating on the downside. He added, I think we're going to have the second biggest housing price decline since post the since the post-World War II period over the next 12 months. Very significant factor for wealth and for equity in the housing market, meaning the decline in both. Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody's and John McCain's favorite economist. Buckle in. Assuming rates remain near their current six and a half, six and a half percent and the economy skirts recession, National house prices will fall almost 10% peak to trough. Most of those declines will happen sooner rather than later. 
And if there is a typical recession, house prices will be down 20%. So if you're looking to buy, you may want to hold off a few months because more price cuts are coming is what I'm reading for uh, reaction to those assessments and uh, discussion on other topics. Pleased to be joined by Jim Urio, who's a Fox Business Analyst and the proprietor of Brant's Restaurant in Palatine. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan. So um, what do you say to, to Zandi and uh, Siegel and some of these other economists that are more or less saying the same things about the housing market and what that means for the larger economy? So I'm, I'm fine with their assessment, particularly when the 10% range. Here's what I think one of the problems are with people of our era is that we think back to the 2007-2008 period when housing collapsed. But people forget that that sort of bubble implosion was was dependent on decades of um, position buildup. And what I'm saying is like back then, remember that you know your brother-in-law was a plumber, owned five houses that he was turning around and reselling, and everybody had extended into the housing market. And then when everything turned, plus there was the adjustable rate mortgage thing. Everybody had adjustable rates mortgage, and as those rates adjusted higher, people could no longer afford their mortgages as we went into recession. That's not happening here. Everybody who bought their homes bought them at outstanding interest rates over the last couple of years. Um, and now, so the 10% correction is perfectly fine with me, and that's just a matter of math. What you can afford, if you're someone who's planning on mortgaging, you know, 80, 90% of your home, you have what you can afford has gone down considerably. But there's something else that's uh, an element of it too, is people who own homes and don't need to sell them will be far, far less motivated to sell them because we don't want to part with our sub 3% mortgage. So that affects the supply portion of it too. And that's why I think 10% is a reasonable estimate. And beyond that, I, I, I'm not, I don't think will happen. So um, I, I hear this a lot, that we're not re-blowing up the bubble that we blew up, as you were saying, over an extended period of time leading into the Great Recession of 08, 09. But by the same token, I you know read what we did in the wake of 08 and 09 and good write-ups on that from people like Bethany McLean, who wrote The Smartest Guys in the Room about the Enron Scandal, and, and others who say, actually, um, we have government more involved in the housing market after the 08-09, you know, under the auspices of regulation and protection. And what we are doing with Fannie and Freddie is the th- same things we were doing prior to 08 and 09, and you have the same moral hazards, and... So you have actually the same dangers that are present. Maybe there's not as much as you say, uh, you know, uh, signature loans for second and third homes. Okay, fine. But don't you still have the potential of a contagion because of the externalities that exist per this expanded government involvement in the housing market? Sure. And it's so funny when you mention it, because were they doing the, the wrong things as they did before the run up to 2007 and 8? Absolutely. They were doing them probably even more aggressively. My only contention is that they didn't have enough time to screw things up as bad as they would have had the mitigation strategies not happened, had the rampant inflation not happened and caused them to panic and do what they're doing now. But as far as so here, you know, you guys, I'm sure, you know, Brian Westbury, one of my friends. And yeah, sure. Absolutely outstanding economist. First trust. And he's yeah. a monetarist like I am. And what he way he describes is this, and this this is going to get to a point, I swear to God. But if you have 10 apples only, 
and the entire economy exists of $10, and each apple, by definition, is worth $1. All of a sudden, you increase the amount of dollars to $15, and each of those apples goes up in value because it's a question of how many dollars are out there chasing how many goods. My point is, is that when these guys were talking about that everything's a bubble, they were missing the point. Everything can't be a bubble. What happened just is the dollar, we've been added so many dollars to the system that in reality, those things have gone up in value because there's more dollars chasing them. So the fact that all of a sudden we're trying to right the ship right now, there's still $6 trillion extra dollars pumped into the economy. I'm talking about the M2 money supply that's gone up in the last three years. So those dollars still exist. And until those are dragged out of the economy, I think things could keep their price better than we expect them to on the downside, if that makes sense. And again, I will go back to yeah, yeah. even in the tech stock, yeah, in, in the tech bubble, remember, everyone you'd have dinner with was like, oh, yeah, every, I could put everything in tech stock on leverage. I mean, this train is, this, is a runaway train. I want to be on it. Like, yeah, you're a runaway train that's heading into a brick wall. But uh, I don't see that right now. I did not see people mortgaging up to buy stuff. Did you? No. no, no. I mean, I, n there's no indication of that. I agree with you. So uh, just and also just um, sort of a baseline here to put this in perspective. When we talk about interest rates, you know, three percent versus six or six and a half percent. Make sure I've got the handle right on this because you know, I want to try and translate it for people when you, you mention reduced purchasing power. Um, so for every I, my understanding, for every uh, percentage point increase in interest rates, you lose about 10 percent of your purchasing power. So if it goes from three to six, then you can afford a house that was 30% of that was, that's 30% less than what you could have afforded when rates were at 3%. Yeah, that's, I don't have the exact calculation for me. That sounds right about what, what uh, I've seen before too. That makes perfect sense to me. But again, so when people hear that, said, and I'm not trying to say that things are, are rosy because they're certainly not rosy. I think we're heading in to a recession that every day I think could be worse considering the things that the government is doing to push it along. But to your point, that presupposes that everybody who's buying a house is doing so, you know, on the maximum leverage. Um, yeah, right. So does it matter? It matters a ton, but it, it, it's easy to get into this think of, well, you know, then, then prices are going down this amount because first of all, but no, that's not everybody's situation. Right. right. Well, and, then also and, and in the market, there's a lot of differentiation in the market. You know, so there's, obviously much more speculative markets in some places versus others. And then remember, too, um, that who was buying the houses in the run-up, too? 18% of them were bought by investment trusts, things like BlackRock. So it's not exactly weak hand that's going to all of a sudden turn around and go, shoot, I can't afford my mortgage payments anymore and sell it out. Well, so what does that mean? I so said one more on this housing. Then we, But what does that mean when we see J.P. Morgan partnering with a realty outfit and they're planning on spending a billion dollars buying up homes to rent out? What, what, what is that telling us about the housing market? For, I mean, I, I see nothing good about that. I think it's a terrible thing. I think it's these places trying to find places to park money. But in the end, I think that us becoming a renter society is an awful thing. I'm, I'm a big fan of home ownership, and that seems like the wrong direction we're going in right now. So I think, I mean, it's a mixed bag. As, you know, Thomas Howell always says, there are no solutions, there are only trade-offs. So right now, if those concerns are coming in and supporting the market, it could, you know, make the price collapse a little bit easier than it could have been. But ultimately, I certainly don't want BlackRock being the landlord and me being the renter. That sounds awful to me. Yeah, but why do you think it's bad to rent as opposed to own? Well, I think that... I, a great question. I just, it always seems to me that just like, you know, this, whenever the World Economic Forum says, you know, in 2035, you'll own nothing and be happy. I'm like, the hell with that. I want to own lots of stuff. And I don't particularly, you, you don't need to concern yourself with my happiness. I think that, that ownership 
And the, the, when people in a society try to increase their lot in life by increasing ownership and increasing stake, I think it's a better thing. I think it's just as simple as that. Um, I wanted to get your uh, take on you mentioned uh, that we're going into recession. So there's been a lot of um, fanfare surrounding the layoffs, not in a positive way, just attention surrounding the layoffs in big tech companies, you know, 10,000 at Amazon and 8,000 at Meta and so on and so forth. Um, And but now we're starting to see it in other sectors, too. There was a story over the weekend about a big manufacturing furniture manufacturer that's located in Mississippi. They just laid off 2,700 workers in, in one fell swoop. So uh, I guess what we're saying is, well, this is exactly what was predicted. This is what the Fed is intending to do. They're nuking your brokerage accounts and they're turning people out of their jobs. This is the way we're going to curb inflation. So don't be surprised when you hear and see these headlines about layoffs. No, no doubt about it. Remember, Jay Paul came out and said he wants to see slack in the labor market. And that's a really benign way of saying he wants you to lose your job. Remember, the whole time they're not, when they say there's going to be some pain, they mean pain with us. They don't mean pain with them. They're insulated yeah. from every moronic policy they put forward. So, but the last shoe to drop has to be the labor market. Because remember, there's two different kinds of inflation. There's a cost push inflation, which is you know, input prices going up, think 70s oil. And we're certainly involved in that now. But the thing that terrifies them the worst is the wage price spiral, because that starts to go, and it's very, very difficult to get us out of that pattern. So they, the, one of the reasons they've been so aggressive, despite the fact that everybody's telling them now that perhaps they've gone far enough, is they need to see slack in the labor market, which they need, need to see a lot of people losing their job. And you mentioned all those layoffs coming this time of year, you know, the big retail, the big, uh, the, the big season for hiring people to see layoffs in this time is very troubling. And to me, that number, those layoffs that we hear anecdotally are going to start to work themselves into the official numbers released by the government over the next couple of weeks. And that's why I think the Fed is probably going to go 50 basis points to the next meeting in 16 days, and that's probably going to be it because they'll realize at that point in time they're probably going too far. Hmm. Well, if that happens, then, uh, well. Bad time to get a car loan. Well, yeah, but not only that, if that happens and you continue to see unemployment, then that's going to be good news for Wall Street. (laughs) The weird, weird ironic thing is that bad economic data is good for Wall Street. My friend Larry Kudlow and I, and yes, I'm, I, you guys know I'm not above name dropping. My friend Larry Kudlow and I have had this ongoing <laughs> argument for years where he says profits are the mother's milk of the stock market, and I say that's nonsense. I think that Fed policy is the mother's milk of the stock market, mm-hmm. meaning that as soon as the market realizes that the Fed can't go any further with rates, they'll start to feel more comfortable in stocks, and they could go higher. And I, I can prove that the last couple of weeks. Every time there's a number came out that disappoints even a little, the stock market rallies on it. So the stock market wants this recession. They, they want to get it over with before they can rally. All right. So um, I want to get your take on FTX, the meltdown there with SBF, the uh, kingpin of the Democrats' uh, socialist fundraising, uh, or at least once <laughs> upon a time, like five minutes ago he was. Um, and the argument is, well, if, if FTX were uh, a U.S. stock on the exchange, then regulations would have required user funds be held by an outside custodian, orders routed through a brokerage. Um, and so that sort of structure would have prevented what happened to FTX. But that's not actually true, is it? Um, because fraud can be committed uh, within that structure. You had Enron, which was uh, on the uh, NYSE, and what happened with Enron. So, so is there something sort of just more fundamental at play here than thinking that if you provided more government structure to the crypto markets, that would prevent things like FTX? 
No, I, I think what you're saying is very, very reasonable. That you can put all the regulations in place, and we've seen historically that people choose to not follow those regulations and then cover up their path of not doing that. So, yes, of course, it could happen anywhere. Um, the thing that with FTX is that, and first of all, I think the flow of funds within the whole FTX situation would be should be picked apart with a fine-tooth comb and any weird abnormality should become public. I don't have confidence in that because it always seems like, and I'm not pointing fingers, but if you, if you contribute to the right campaign, you don't get investigated as difficult. And yes, I, this is, this is a, a sticking point with everybody here. But the point is, is that when people are losing all their money in a crypto exchange, that's where were they domiciled in the Bahamas? I mean, it just it seems like such a stupid thing to put all your money in. And what we're the things we're hearing about Tom Brady is that it's really six hundred fifty-five million dollars, which I, I mean I have a hard time believing that. That it's, it's unbelievable to me that someone would be so reckless with their money. And then I would just say a fool and his money are soon to part, though either today or tomorrow. But there's one thing I do want to say about this whole thing is that remember the point of Bitcoin, and I'm not a crazy Bitcoin guy, but the point of Bitcoin was decentralization. And this FTX yes. thing was just about centralization. So it's not a commentary on Bitcoin. The fact that Bitcoin has been just crushed by this, um, to me, seems a little bit ironic. But the reality of it is, is that, yeah, to your point, of course, it can happen anywhere. I don't want more regulation. I want people to do their own due diligence. And if you're stupid, you should part with your money. And, and from what you know, I mean, do you... I mean, sort of just sort of morally, not even necessarily legally, you'd like to see Sam Bankman freed um, imprisoned somewhere, but um, like on Easter Island, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but that's which is not to say that I have sympathy for Tom Brady because I don't. But but what what is your take? I mean, should he be treated like the guys at Enron? Should he be treated like Ken Lay and Skilling? Oh, I think, of course. He should. But again, yeah. you ca- you got to find an exact, again, he was domiciled in a different area, so you got to find exactly what laws he broke, which I'm, again, at this point in time, it's speculation. But my guess is when something like this happens, and the thing I've, the things I've heard sound completely ridiculous. And so, absolutely, I think he should be treated harshly. And this is, again, this is what frustrates people and why they lose confidence in the system. When they see that, you know, that Bernie Madoff is arrested 24 hours after the story breaks, and nobody's even thought of arresting. SBF and questioning him, and he's going to appear in a New York Times panel this week and be interviewed. Um, this just blows me away. Yeah, right. We, don't we, you think we, the politicians should give the money back? <laughs> well, how about give it back to the people who he scammed it out of? Right. Like, give it, give, absolutely. Remember in the, in the Bernie Madoff thing, it was years later when people got a, a phone call that said, yeah, remember that? You know, uh, that $100 million you took out five years ago, it wasn't really yours. you got to give it back. Of course they should. But, again, who's going to force them to do that? We've already we've given them all the power, and we continue to give them more and more power. They're not going to do that. So we have to keep our, our wish list reasonable. But, yeah, to your point, absolutely they should. And we find out if he's too big to imprison like John Corzine when MF Global went mm-hmm. under with uh, with very dubious legal practice, uh, because of very dubious le- uh, practices legally as well. Perfect, perfect um, comparison. John Corzine had small, tiny outs where they said, oh, I could invest in sovereign debt. Yeah, you weren't supposed to invest in sovereign debt in third world countries that had wildly high volatility. So should John Corzine have gone to prison? Of course he should have. Um, but, yeah, he, he wiggled his way up. But that's a perfect comparison. A powerful person who has contacts in the government, has contacts with Goldman Sachs, which I can never – again, I'm a Goldman Sachs alum, but I can never figure if they're the government or if they're a private entity. But let's yeah, scratch that right. out. When the show goes live, let's cut that out. So they're 
<laughs> All right. Well, it will be left on the uh, cutting room floor. Yes. No worries. Uh, Jim Urio, uh, Fox Business Analyst for now uh, and uh, proprietor of Brands Restaurant in Palatine as well. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I'll see you. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word app to 64636 to download the app today. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, attention, Prospect High uh, Prospect High School's parents. The if you don't want your... T- what? The Knights. They're the Knights. Prospect yeah. High School Knights. There you go. If you don't want your teen participating in a upcoming SEL session, that would be social-emotional learning, on Tuesday, like tomorrow, excuse them, parents elsewhere, watch for these types of sessions in your district. It's your decision whether your children participate. Yeah, apparently uh, District 214, Prospect High School there, welcoming guest speaker Calvin Terrell in for a tutorial on social-emotional learning, which is just uh, another way of saying... CRT and identitarian politics. Uh, Calvin Terrell is a uh, surviving, is someone who survived violence. Uh, Wait, no, I'm sorry. Calvin Terrell transforms pain into power and haunts into healing. Surviving violence, losing loved ones to addictions, murder, white supremacy, and misogyny. As well as owning his own prejudices and role in oppression compels Calvin's service. Yeah. His approaches draw from many technologies that are colonial, decolonized, and indigenous. Wonderful. And he posts things like this on social media. To stop hate, open your mind. Mind your business if you disagree, but please don't spew dog whistles that lead to terrorism. Love you and blessings. And as an expression of his love, that comment was accompanied by a cartoon featuring... I'm guessing Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Tucker Carlson with blood around their mouths and a LGBTQ plus flag with bullet holes in it and blood dripping from those bullet holes. Cause, those three, affect the bullet holes and the blood dripping from them on the flag. Mm-hmm. Right. Love you and blessings. Okay, Cal. Uh-huh, and he's got other things about fascism, which he equates to conservatism, even though they're antonyms. Um, yeah, evening event for parents and community, November 29th at 7 p.m. at Prospect uh, Prospect KLC. What, I don't know what that is. Um, maybe it's a learning center or something. I don't know. But anyway, it's at Prospect High School. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, too, because there's a lot of prattling on in his postings about democracy, democracy, democracy. Maybe we haven't put too fine a point on it, but it reminds me of a call we got um, a week ago Friday in our Open Mic Friday where somebody asked to distinguish between democracy and a republic. Are we a republic? Are we a democracy? Threats to our democracy. Protect our democracy. Democracy, democracy, democracy. It's under attack. Right. We're a representative republic governed by a constitution. We're a constitutional republic. And, you know, maybe um, there's something to be gleaned 
by the left's constant parroting of the word democracy as opposed to republic or referencing our constitutional republic because they're not really so much interested in our constitutional republic. They're interested interested in mob rule. They're interested in 50% plus one makes something right. They're not interested in majority rule and minority rights, the minority rights protected by the Constitution, which you see them make every attempt to trample over. Yeah, maybe there's a reason. Democracy, democracy, democracy. I know it's an easy handle. I know those phrases are used interchangeably. For some people, it's just ignorance. For other people, I think it's purposeful. For more on what happened, oh, by the way, I should mention, Yeah. because we have school board elections, too. We talked about last day of filing for the Chicago mayor's race today. The last day of filing to be to run for school board where you live is December 19th. The school board members, uh, District 214, which includes Prospect High School, uh, I think the ones that are up, William Dussling, oh, the board members are William Dussling, Millie Palmer, Mark Heinemann, Alva Krutzer, Dan Petro, Andrea Rauch, and Lenny Walker. And I think um, maybe uh, Palmer, Heinemann, Rauch, and Walker are up. I mean, just, you know, maybe you have some questions for them about this Calvin Terrell invited to spew his leftist propaganda. And, um, again, you want to bring Calvin Terrell in, like we talked about with the New Trier, I Hate White People Day several years ago that yeah, got discontinued. Bring in a countering opinion. Expand. Don't contract. Go ahead. Bring Calvin Terrell in. And bring Calvin Terrell in, and he has to square off against, oh, I don't know, say Paul Rossi. Uh, or, you know, the, there's myriad others to choose from. But, yeah. So, no, no, you can you – can, uh, Bring Cornell West in. You can talk about Cornell West's writings and so on and so forth. But then also include Thomas Sowell. What's wrong with that? Why is it that you only want one point of view presented and you don't want different point of views presented side by side? Isn't that a curious thing? I wonder how much he's getting paid, too, because this is a business for him. Oh, it's a business. Oh, it's definitely a business. On his and Twitter page, it's very— ugh, it's, District 214 is getting the business. Uh, for more on this, please be joined by Frank McCormick again. He is a teacher, historian. He's also uh, writes over at chalkboardheresy.com, chalkboardheresy.com. And uh, by the way, bring Frank McCormick in to go point counterpoint with Calvin Terrell. Wouldn't that be fun? He's local. Hey, Frank, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. So, um, social emotional learning. You're uh, in the trenches. You're you're still. You haven't been thrown out of your school yet, have you? Oh, no, that, that ended in January. <laughs> oh, it did. Well, remind people what happened. Um, yeah, you know, I basically sort of decided to uh, be openly conservative online and start a blog and uh, then thought to myself, you know, what if I do the opposite of everything they expect you to do? So instead of back down, I would respond back and uh, kind of got in a one-man war with my school district, uh, Waukegan High School. And, um, you know, don't regret it, though. A lot lot came to the surface, and there were other teachers across the country doing the same thing. And now we're just trying to kind of continue informing the public about what's really going on in their do schools. You, do you want to continue teaching? I would like to, but you become kind of blacklisted. It's almost like— Well, what about 
What about at a, at a you private. know, I mean, I, yeah, private Catholic school, something like that? I mean, I know that even those are limited in terms of options that will in, endure any criticism of this sort. But um, what about that? Yeah, that's that's a possibility, but um, they're pretty risk averse as well. Yeah. They um, this is something I've talked to Paul Rossi about, and the uh, problem he, Paul Rossi thinks it's, it's almost just as bad, if not worse, in private schools because yeah. they're trying to appease kind of this uh, woke faction of parents that they don't want to cause a lot of trouble for them. So it's uh, it's pretty risky to do, but you know, um, people so, have to know what's going on. So getting back to uh, Calvin Terrell and this. Um... This SEL sure. workshop tomorrow night at uh, Prospect High School. So, you know, from your experience at Waukegan and and just knowing teachers and writing about this stuff. So, how how ubiquitous are the Calvin Terrells in K through twelve? You know, what he when you read what he writes online, it I understand the public is, is shocked, but it's not a surprise to me. These people are brought in all the time. Um, not necessarily in such a public fashion, and typically they're a lot more discreet about their views. So that's you're kind of getting something different with Calvin Terrell. He's really open about it. But uh, none of this is, is new. None of this is surprising. They, you know, schools and teachers just aren't used to the public knowing as much as they now know and as much as they're finding out. They've been doing this for, for years, if not, you know, over a decade and it's just now coming to, coming to light. But I, I, I think people are still trying to wrap their heads around it because the language changes involved so much. And these terms, you know, SEL, people understand that there's things they don't like about it, but they don't understand really at the root what SEL is and, and, and why it's dangerous. Well, tell, explain and, um, SEL and why, what it is and why it's dangerous. Sure. So SEL, basically on the surface, it sounds nice. It fosters social and emotional skills. Um, the catch is... Who decides what is proper socialization? Who decides what an emotional skill looks like? So, for example, uh, we could agree SEL, which teaches kids to respect other people's privacy, is a good thing. But often the architects of SEL will argue something like healthy socialization involves awareness of inequity or that empathy for oppressed groups is an emotional skill kids should possess. So I've described SEL as like a, like a Trojan horse. And it's ultimately a Trojan horse for this revolution that many of these radical, or what they call them critical pedagogists, want. They want a revolution. You need revolutionaries. And to get that, you have to develop a new type of consciousness. And so I urge people to look in not just an SEL, but a lot of it is called transformative SEL. And transformative SEL is this process where young people and adults, and this is their definition, build relationships to develop critical consciousness together. And critical consciousness is basically neo-Marxism, you know, where Marxism was class consciousness, recognizing systemic and structural oppression in the class system. Critical consciousness is about recognizing oppression everywhere in the broader scale and gender it can be applied to anything. And the, the key thing here is this is not just academic. They sometimes sell it that way. They say, well, we're just, look, we're just exploring the world through a critical lens. A major part of critical theory and developing, developing critical consciousness is activism. So you have this new consciousness. You're woke to the truth. 
you recognize the oppressor class or, or your you know now your kids do hey kids you've developed this new consciousness you recognize structural inequality and systemic oppression what are you going to do about it well you help more people develop critical consciousness and then you need a political revolution towards equity that's where that you know we've all heard that in schools now right equity equity is about giving everyone what they need according to their abilities sounds familiar yeah, <laughs> yeah right those of us familiar with Marxism. So that's where SEL often leads. It's it's hard to I, uh, it's really hard to wrap your head around. But SEL is ultimately about reaching these kind of ends. And it sounds like a conspiracy until you actually read what these uh, educational professors, people at teachers' colleges, what they're writing about, or if you like well, my also, case, been through. Well, also also when you start to connect the dots back to K through 12, back to K through 12, through college, yep. to CNN stories this weekend, Daylight Savings Time sheds light on lack of sleep's disproportionate impact in communities of color. Daylight Savings Time is racist. Seriously. A jaywalking laws. Yeah. Arbitrarily enforced and tickets disproportionately given to people of color in, in low-income communities. Jaywalking is racist. Red light Everything cameras is, are racist. Everything is everything is forced through the identitarian prism, you know, and, and depending on, uh, you know, what your predilection is, whether race comes first or gender identity comes first. But it's all that everywhere all the time. Yeah, critical theory has definitely infiltrated so many different aspects of our society and culture that we're, we're just now starting to wake up to. And I think a lot of people. They, they know what's wrong, but they don't necessarily have the, the language to describe it yet, which is why I think it's really important to like read the the people who are authoring these books and these studies who are, you know, go to these, go, go to Terrell's uh, speech, hear what he has to say, learn about it. Like, you'll, you'll be shocked, but you need to be shocked. But what's really insidious about this for me is that, and, and this is why I decided to speak out in the beginning, was they're targeting schools for a reason. They, they've kind of given up on adults. So they're starting with kids because they circumvent the problem of having to convince adults of their political solution. That, I mean, that's what indoctrination is. And well, they, they don't actually have, write well, about well, that too. Yeah, but, 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 they, but, they, but they just they, – the adults have ceded control to the kids, so the adults just get rolled over. Right? They don't need the adults. Well, yeah, and they, they have an incredible amount of faith in you know You hear this all the time in schools. Children of the future. Children can run the classrooms. Children can run the schools. Children will run the world. Um, they, they want that if kids are in line with their kind of right. ideology. And well, he, um, the, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of parallel to the Cultural Revolution, which was a, a student-led revolution in China as well. Um, and it was the same kind of idea that children of the future and – running things and yeah D don't tell me how the cultural yeah. revolution in china ended you know <laughs> let, let's let's let it be a surprise um it, robert yeah, robert Pond robert pondicio over at american enterprise institute wrote this piece last year about scl which and he takes sort of one step back which i i like and i think this is a nice framing of the of a conversation about this with parents he writes inherent in scl is an under discussed change in the role of the teacher from a pedagogue to something more closely resembling a therapist, social worker, or member of the clergy. No less concerned with the child's beliefs, attitudes, and values. At the very least, the rise of SEL, under the cover of jargon and education ease, 
has become largely unque- an, a largely unquestioned feature of mainstream education, thought, and practice with insufficient discussion and debate about its effects on schools' missions. He, you know, the more salient question, he says, is, which tends to go unasked, must be self-earth. Is this the appropriate business of the school? And the answer is no, because, for example, he points out teachers are not well-equipped to deal with these issues, and um, the, as he writes, the potential negative consequences for students, a damage, as damaging to children as it might be for a teacher to perform poorly at teaching reading, math, or history, the effect of being a poor mental health professional could be even more dire. Absolutely. And, and, and actually, I, my theory is that even though I, I completely understand and agree with what you're saying, the reason they've gone this route is because they failed in their fundamental mission. So they're looking desperately for something to be successful at. And so they're trying their hand at drugstore psychology now. Uh, but it's going to have even more disastrous results. Or if it goes the way they planned with this transformative SEL, then it, it may work out very well for them. Because I, I still think SEL fundamentally, I think there's some you know stuff on the surface that, that looks good. But I think fundamentally what it's about is advancing the political agenda uh, kind of under the guise of pseudo-psychology. And um, just going back to your experience, uh, you were at Waukegan High School, right? Yeah. Uh, so so when uh, you decided to push back in a substantive way, like you're explaining today, you know, on the merits, um, school board members, uh, other teachers, parents of any of your students, anybody – Anybody rally to your defense on this? Anybody say you may disagree with Frank, but he's a good history teacher and we want him at the school? Anybody any of that? Nope. Not one. I had I had some quiet support, but no one no one dared risk their pension or their salary. They say, I agree with you, you know, yeah, I I know I it's a real danger to the republic what's happening in our schools. Will you say something? Nope. Wow. And that's the problem. And was that from teachers or from students or parents? I get it from a few uh, few teachers, a few administrators. They say just quietly off the record, please don't say anything. And I'm I'm out there. I'm like, hey guys, like you know, <laughs> I don't want to. How about a little help here? Either, but yeah, yeah. How about a little help here? Um, hmm. it's surprisingly, a lot of the support, believe it or not, came from many of my former students who knew that I was a a good teacher and who I had a relationship with, and said, you know what? They said, I don't understand everything you're saying um this is kind of new to me like you know your your kind of theory on where this goes but they said i I trust you and if you think this is important i'm going to start paying attention to it Um, so they are they can you get your teacher's pension well they tried so yeah they uh, basically you kind of lose it when you leave um unless you're vested um i was vested but you know, it was basically, you know, pennies compared. It's a, it's a, it's a pyramid scheme, you know, as we know. <laughs> but, so you get very little back. But what they did try and do is they brought me in with a district attorney. This was around December. And it was just like an intimidation meeting. They brought me in and they read me the code of teacher ethics. So I think what they were trying to do is they were kind of lining up their shot to go after my teaching license. He is Frank McCormick, teacher, historian, and he writes at chalkboardheresy.com, chalkboardheresy.com. 
you know, it's it's not enough to know what's going on. You are going to have to have some people that are willing to stand with people like Frank McCormick and act in furtherance of what you know is right. And um, that 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 job has not been sufficiently filled yet in most school districts, as we've seen. Frank, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Because they got the beat, the campus beat, the campus beat. Yeah, the campus beat. Dan and Amy, yeah, on this installment of Campus Beat, following on the discussion we had with uh, former... Waukegan history teacher Frank McCormick, Waukegan High School history teacher Frank McCormick, about social emotional learning and um, the culture and K through 12. Of course, that uh, culture owes so much to academia that started there and moved backwards to the primary and secondary grades. Uh, this story out of Gainesville. The University of Florida pulled a scholarship it gave to one of the nation's top quarterback recruits after a video of him using the N-word while singing along to the lyrics in a rap song surfaced. Marcus Stokes, who played for Nice High School in Ponte Vedra, was ranked the 14th best quarterback in the nation, but that wasn't enough to persuade Florida to keep him after the video surfaced. He uh, wrote on social media, I was in my car listening to rap music, rapping along to the words, and posted a video of it on social media. I deeply apologize for the words in the song that I chose to say. It was hurtful and offensive to many people, and I regret it. He fully accepted the consequences of his actions, and he respects the University of Florida's decision to withdraw his scholarship, saying, My intention was never to hurt anybody, and I recognize that even... When going along with a song, my words still carry a lot of weight. I will strive to be better and to become the best version of myself both on and off the field. I know that learning from my mistakes is a first important step. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Now, now remember, University of Florida is not just a state school in the state of Florida. Um, It's also a state school that just hired... Ben Sass to be its oh, right. incoming president. president at much to the chagrin and protestations of Florida University of Florida undergrads. But nonetheless, uh, you know, just because he was not a Trump fan doesn't mean, you know, as a Republican from Nebraska, he's not also a white supremacist, hate monger, fear monger, a threat to our democracy. So with that context, how do you like that? Does that I mean, you know, again, I just want to get my kid through school. I just want to get my kid to this. I just want my kid to have that. And hopefully nothing ever happens that would unleash the mob on my kid or my family. But you never can tell, can you? Well, I think people need to keep in mind, these are kids. This is, you know, kids and social media, I'm I'm grateful we didn't have it when we were growing up. My God. But you have to tell them all the time to be careful what you post. It will come back to haunt you. And what he did, though, you know, look at what he did. He was singing along and said the N-word, which was part of a rap song. 
And we all know certain people can you know, can say the N word, and I would never in my life ever say that. But I've seen other people do it, and you know, I just I feel bad for him. He's a kid, but I, his apology was so sincere, and I just wish that they could move on. Like we accept his apology, and we're going to keep him. Should he apologize? Should he, he have apologized to try and keep his scholarship? Yeah, I would have advised him. Yes, and the apology that was written, I thought, was absolutely perfect. But still, it's not enough. Do you think he should have apologized? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely 100% unequivocally not. Just just uh, stick your kid with the jab. Just apologize. Just bend the knee. Just do this and do that because you are in service to our ideology. No, I don't think so. Nope. If he was my kid, absolutely not. Under no circumstances. Under no circumstances. Some teenager... Is singing along to a rap song in his car. I need to see this. Yeah. And and it, but I don't know what rap song. It hasn't been reported. But it's like welcome back. And then it's like you know something n word. And he's singing and he's posting on social media because you know it's like an irresistible force for kids. And he says that completely. I mean, completely innocently. And he should lose his scholarship or. Even if it would have been conditional, unless you apologize, you lose your scholarship. Take the scholarship and stick it someplace dark. That would be my attitude. Three one and, and until and let me just say something else. And until and unless people start taking that attitude, then this steamroll will come for you. And your family in some form or fashion. Do you think his parents or he ever thought? No. But when you live in a society where these universities and now K-12 through school systems have trained generations of young people to be Stasi cadets, to go out and look for people to jackpot, to go out and treat your neighbor cast your neighbor in the light least favorable to him or her for the purposes of ratting them out so they can be properly punished and taught to follow orders, taught to repeat what you're told, not think for yourself. It will come. We've been telling these stories that cancel. Cancel is such a uh, therapeutic way to describe this. We've been telling these stories for years and years and years, and nobody ever thinks it will come for them until it does. Your company's taken away. Your kid's scholarship's taken away. You're booted from this job or uh, that opportunity. So go ahead. Oh, I just want to get my kid through school. For, for what purpose? God, he went on to say, I quote, I fully accept the consequences of my actions, and I respect the University of Florida's decision to withdraw my scholarship offer to play football. Yeah, right. I'm going to repeat the lines I've been told to repeat. I'm at fault here. So you're saying you should admit you're at fault for something you didn't do. In other words, you you uh, uttered the word because you were rapping along to a song, but you're not, you know, a racist. You're not attacking a black people with a, a racial slur and so on and so forth. You did that as a kid. But here's the thing. I, I know that argument. That you just you made at the outset. Thank God we didn't have social media when we were kids. If you think that at all inhibits 
these Gruppenführers at the collegiate level and all of the Stasi cadets they've trained and dispersed among the populace, if you think that inhibits them for a second, then you have no idea what's happening. You're not paying attention to what's happening. He was going to go to Penn State and then changed it to Florida last July. We'll see where he gets, where he can where go, if anywhere now. Who's going to stand up for him? Well, this he had, be re- a, well, he received more than a dozen offers from D1 college programs. So that was right, before this. See. Right. Now who's going to take him? And, and this will be an early test for Ben Sass, too. I mean, he doesn't come, he doesn't assume the job until February, I believe. But this should be revisited. If I'm president of that university, that I, I, I'm, I'm not. There's, there's no way I'm going to be president of a university, and that's going to be the culture under my stewardship. Uh, go down, go down fighting. Somebody's got to, right or no, or no. Just hey, whatever you want. I'm happy to live on my knees. That's what I want to teach my children too. Live on your knees. Whether you're right or wrong, whoever has power, you just accede to their wishes. Well, you know, you do things for people in power because they have power, not because it's right or wrong. Boy, it can take you to some very strange, destructive, dark places, can it? Do we know anything about history? I mean, really, the Nuremberg defense? Are we that afraid that you actually have people invoking the Nuremberg defense and acting in furtherance of it? He's not, he didn't do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. Except listen to bad music. That was his crime. So fine, so Florida loses a quarterback. That's not the point. The point is, this is the culture. And it's not just on the campus of the University of Florida. Clearly. And the response, the immediate response is, ah, surrender. Why do you think it's so hard to change what's going on in K through 12, even when, as Frank McCormick is telling us, even when there are people that are silently with you because they're silently with you? I don't want anything to happen to my kid. Oh, you think silence will protect your kid from anything happening? All you're doing is aggrandizing the power of the thug class. Is that not clear? Has nobody lived on this planet for five minutes? The cowardice. The cowardice is astounding to me. For a scholarship, take your scholarship. For a job, take your job. Maurice and Berwin, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. You know, Dan, I have to agree with you. My as someone who's looking at the front fifty, uh, I couldn't a I couldn't listen to rap growing up in my household uh, as an African American uh, because I had strict parents. Um, but my theory has always been: if it's in the song, it's in the song. Um, there is a difference between someone saying that word to you full of hate and the way they use it in rap songs. Uh, but to me, as I was telling your screener, it's a reflection of society. I, I like Sleep with Mac, and my favorite song, Sleep with Mac, is you know I can't say the word anymore. G, you know, there goes your G, you know, as Stephen Dixon say it. You can't say that word anymore because of younger people. I think younger people are just so hypersensitive that nothing you do is appropriate anymore. And so if you know the G word, the G song I'm talking about, I'm sleeping at night, I'm going to say, oh, that's a slur now. Like, since when? Everything is, 
an overcorrection in which we all kind of get caught in these smaller boxes all the time. So I feel sorry for the kid, but it's, it's like there's nothing you can do because younger people are well, taking over society. Well, well, yeah, but there, there is something you can do. The people uh, in charge or the people that have platforms or the people that are part of these organizations can say, I am not participating in insanity. I'm not participating in what is actually intolerance and ignorance. I'm not going to be part of promoting that. And who says that? Who says it? I, I have to agree with you. I think that it's a fear that if, even for me as an older yeah, registered Democrat, I'm so conservative compared to younger people now in societal shift, I might be one of you guys. Because oh, but then you're really in trouble. <laughs> but but the difference is the difference. But the difference, Maurice, is we'll stand up and defend you. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, you're right. you're very welcome. Thanks for the call, Maurice. I mean, that's the, that that is. We'll come. We'll rally to like that's the whole thing. Rally to the defense of people who are being wrongly persecuted. I thought that was that. That's the lesson from the darkest periods in our history. You rally to the defense of people who are being unjustly persecuted. But now it's no okay. All right, what? what don't take that away from me. Yeah, and and you get you get to keep your scholarship and you lose your humanity. That's a great trade-off. Stephen Downers Grove. Well, Dan, I wish you were running the University of Florida. That, that, you know, I'd hate to lose you up here, but you'd be a good fit down there. Listen, real, real quick, two things. I was watching CNN lose their lemon last week in the morning. He had on a black guest. So it was two black guys talking. And right there on live TV, the black guest used the N-word. Nobody, no, nobody said a thing. It didn't bother anybody. It kept going. So it was perfectly fine. Had this Florida quarterback been black and not white, nothing would have happened. Well, of course. Thanks for the, thanks for the call. I mean, you know, Dave Chappelle used it twice in his monologue right. on SNL that went out, you know, over the public airwaves. I mean, it used to be, as I said, when we were talking about Chappelle's monologue, go back and watch episodes of Sanford and Son. Go back and watch episodes of All in the Family. But you have to watch those things in context, just like you have to listen to Chappelle in context. Uh, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm not here to to, to to call on Dave Chappelle to apologize or, or what. You have to look at things in context, but they don't do that. They don't afford context to people that they see as oppressors because of their skin color. And that is rank ignorance. But who's standing up for the kid? Not even him. He won't even stand up for himself. Why? Because he's been trained not to. Right. That's sad. Totally caved. Jordan in Antioch. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. Dan, I'm with you 100%. Uh, there should be no apology, and that kid's parents should be standing behind him, uh, telling them there's going to be an apology. You know, the kid was singing to a song uh, on the radio and then was, was videoing himself, which is the exact reason why I have a son who we've had the long talk about social media. And he has no social media apps on his phone. He doesn't participate for this reason. And we will talk about this when I get home. And I saw your tweet about this, and I thought it was comical how the immediate reaction, without even knowing what the what the context of the story was, was they they slammed you, your gubernatorial race, your pack, uh, and that you were a racist. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I, I just, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. You're of course. a racist because the kid. So the funny thing is, this music is catered to kids his age. They know exactly who their market is. It's white suburban kids who want to listen to rap and feel like they live the street life 
and then they sing the song and they lambaste them and make them pay for it. Um, my son. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know who the rap audience is. I mean, the, yeah, obviously there's an yeah, urban audience well, for exactly. rap too. But but I mean, but 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 the reason the, for listening to it. But the reason the yeah. reason that so many of these rap artists are cajillionaires is because I mean, here's the quintessential scene: Michael Bolton in his car in the op- opening scene of Office Space. That's who. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's exactly. who's listening to rap. So we have talked myself about included, by the my way. Son. Yeah, my son understands and he has friends. He's put in too much work academically and athletically. He has college prospects and he wants to go. That's why he has no social media. But I've already told I've always told him and he knows 100 percent. And I don't think this kid has this luxury is that as long as you're on the right side of the scripture, as long as you're on the right side of the law. And if you're honest with me and you and what you did was not wrong in your heart and in, in the scripture, I will stand behind you and I will have that meeting with those teachers. I will have the meeting with any of anybody else and I will defend you until the end. And I don't think this kid has that. He's been taught to roll over. And you're Thanks right. For the call. Thanks for the call, Jordan. Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know, he's not important. He's he's a he's a um, acceptable casualty. Ralph Northam in blackface, Justin Trudeau in blackface. Yeah. Those are not acceptable uh, casualties because they occupy positions of authority that the left wants to hold on to. So we'll right. leave them there. Yep. But but to promote yourself, though, you have to be on Twitter as an athlete. Coaches don't want to hear from parents. They want to and coaches follow Twitter. And that's how, you know, he got onto that social media. And then somebody dug deep and found something that he had done. Months ago, right. One like, of the, we're going to destroy him now, right? Uh, one of those, one of those Stasi cadets trained at no doubt at one of our institutions of higher learning. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between five and nine in the morning than you guys. On AM five sixty, the answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Cause they got the beat, the campus beat, the campus beat. Yeah, the campus beat. Dan and Amy, yes, it's an extended edition of Campus Beat this morning because we need to get to this story. But I thought the school bell already rang. We're in the next period now. Well, now we've returned from recess and we've got the afternoon session. Uh, Annabella Rockwell. We've got to tell the story of Annabella Rockwell. Okay. She is the heiress to a pharmaceutical fortune. Grew up in Manhattan. Went to Mount Holyoke, one of the seven sisters. Let's go lesbians. And uh, summered in Newport, of course. Later moved with her family to Palm Beach. She was a competitive figure skater who lived abroad for a time in Germany as well as Hong Kong. Nice. Nice privileged life. This is before she went to Mount Holyoke. I was so excited to, about going to this renowned, respected school in Massachusetts. I literally arrived there bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I was just so happy. But she told the New York Post she wound up totally indoctrinated into viewing the world as a toxic patriarchy and herself as an oppressed victim. She eventually had to be deprogrammed, literally. Literally deprogrammed. Like her mother hired a deprogrammer and paid him $300 an hour to undo what Mount Holyoke did. The lengths that this is... Uh, that, that are being taken <laughs> once you've sent your kid away to these 
communist indoctrination centers called universities. She said she was initially shocked at how aggressively anti-male the students and professors were when she settled into Mount Holyoke. By the way, uh, bonus points, my um, undenying admiration, if anybody can name all seven sisters. That I, I think some people can get six, but there's the seventh is it's pretty uh, arcane. Well, what is the seventh? Well, I just I'm going to let people fill okay. them in. Can you name any three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey dot Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey dot Pro Text Line. Don't say Mount Holyoke. That was given. No Mount Holyoke. <laughs> yeah, right. You didn't consider any of the seven sisters. No, did I? No, no. Really. No, no. Why you would stri- I consider the seven you, sisters? You, you strike me as a Smith girl. Okay, Wait, now two have been given away. Uh-oh. All right. She um, she said the uh, she was also taken aback by the drinking culture and fresh, freshman campus rituals designed to shrug off gender roles, such as cutting your hair into what's called the moho chop. The moho chop. Mount Holyoke moho right. chop. Cut your hair, you know, so you're a little bit more butch. But it wasn't until her junior year when she took a gender studies class that she said she was turned upside down. The pro- she, this is quoting Miss Rockwell. The professor tells me about the patriarchy. I barely knew what the word meant. Well, it's a testament to her K-12 through education. I didn't know what she was talking about. I wasn't someone that was into feminism. I just knew that I felt I'd always been free to do what I wanted. I never experienced sexism. But I was told that there's a patriarchy and you don't even understand it's been working against you your whole life. You've been oppressed and you didn't even know it. Now you have to fight it. And I just went down this deep rabbit hole. This is so interesting. By the time she graduated in 2015, she said she'd been brainwashed into believing she had been a lifelong victim of patriarchal oppression and had a duty to fight it on behalf of other victims, women, people of color, LGBTQ folks. I left school very anxious, very nervous, very depressed and sad. I saw everything through the lens of oppression and bias and victimhood. I came to school, came to the school as someone who saw everyone equally. I left looking for injustice wherever I could and automatically assuming that all white men were sexist. My thoughts were no longer my own. She also became estranged from her mother, who she once considered her best friend. Her mom said that uh, her daughter wrote a horrible manifesto right after graduation accusing her mom, her, of treating her like a wind-up toy and a doll and never loving her. Yeah, she was really oppressed. I felt I had to teach her how wrong she was and expose her and to do that with everyone who didn't see things correctly. The professors encouraged alienation from parents, even offered their homes to stay in. They'd say, like, don't go see them. Come stay with us for the holiday. Most of my classmates believed all this stuff, too. If you didn't, you were ostracized. Remember, this is this is one of these universities that's seventy grand a year. So this is a, a small Leninist arts school for the largely the uber wealthy and their, you know, their offspring. Um, Laura Loomer, who I'm not a big fan of, but nonetheless, she went to Holy Oak, Mount Holyoke for a semester before she couldn't take it anymore. Um, the entire culture there revolved around hating men and being a lesbian. Mount Holyoke and all the seven sisters were designed to be these elite institutions for women at a time when places like Harvard just took men. But they're no longer places for ideas and debate and a well-rounded education. They're centers for indoctrination. If you send their kid, if you send your kid there, you're signing them up to hate the patriarchy and white people and the founding stock of our country. 
It's a bastardization of higher education for the sake of weaponizing naive young women for the sake of advancing a toxic agenda. $300, I, I said an hour, $300 a day, a, um, this person that she hired to talk to her daughter because her daughter was alienated from her to try to you know, give her broader perspective on things in the world. She, um, her mom said, she was no longer the Annabella I've known all my life. This girl was the most bubbly breath of fresh air to everyone. She lit up a room, but the light was stolen from her at that school. It was extinguished. It's no different than if she'd be taken away by the Moonies or the Children of God. Wow. Sounded like she was in a cult. You know, because people pay for that. This, this, um... The undoctrinated. Some some of the these this this these people that are talking about trying to deprogram students who've gone to college. I mean, this deprogramming. You, when when we call it a cult and we say that these are cultists that are practicing this pagan religion, it's no longer a metaphor. These guys saying it, it takes it can take years to overcome the brainwashing that uh, Annabella now describes she went through. I couldn't push too hard or I'd lose her, but if I let go, I feel I felt like I might not see her again. It was as bad as trying to get a child off the streets who's on heroin. Everyone is so sure it won't happen to their child, but it will. Professors and older students tell the students they are special. It's like they're anointed, and they tell them how oppressed they are and what victims they are and how they have to go out in the world and be activists to stop the oppression, which is why, by the way, you see all sorts of asinine antics from all of these uh, activists, all of these you know, crusaders against oppression, and, and perhaps most pronounced, especially of late, are these you know climate apocalypse uh, climate apocalypse protesters who are you know destroying works of art and gluing themselves yeah. to basketball courts during NBA games and so on and so forth. This is and this Van is where Go they're paintings. getting it. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six D eight turnkey dot pro text line. Hmm. One of the seven colleges that I think people forget Radcliffe College. Radcliffe is one. You're not allowed to look it up. It was absorbed by Harvard College in nineteen ninety nine. And yes, I'm reading that off of Google. No, no googling. Well, I googled it, but I did have a friend that went to Vassar College. That's okay. Now you've but Vassar is that's everybody knows Vassar, and I don't know. One. All right, so now four have been mentioned. Well, but not the not the most difficult one. Really? All right, let's see. Uh, Robert in Villa Park says he can name the seven sisters. Oh boy, okay. here we go. Without cheating. And uh, we're talking about the seven sisters, the Leninist arts colleges, not other seven sisters. But okay, we'll take a chance. Robert Villa Park. Hey, Robert. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I believe it's sneezy. Sleepy, dopey, grumpy. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Uh, all right, uh, the other ones I have a little trouble with. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right, very good. Thanks. for The intellectual dwarfs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ralph and Rantoul. Hey, Ralph. Ralph. Oh, hey there. Sorry about that. I was asleep at the switch. You know, I don't remember all of the names of the sisters. But I do remember the movie they made about it, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. They all ended up marrying strapping young men with beards and plaid shirts, and they did a lot of singing and dancing. Yeah, and they were victimized by the patriarchy. That's how that movie ended, as I recall. They were oppressed by love. 
They were victims of love, Dan and Amy. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call, Ralph. I don't think I'm going to get my answer. Uh, Dave and Niles, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi. Great show as always. What you need to do these days, these children are so immature and so vulnerable. You've got to have them go to work for a year to two years before they go to college, between high school and college. That's the answer. All right. Do you have any any of the three remaining sisters that you want to mention? <laughs> Not offhand. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call. I'm going to give you an, I'm going to give you a hint. This is an easy one. Right. What's the hardest? If I give you the hint. All right. I'll give you a hint. One more. Hillary Clinton's alma mater. Oh, oh, that's isn't it Wesley? Mm. Wasn't it? That doesn't work on Jeopardy, but I'll give it to you. Wellesley. Wellesley. Excuse. Yeah. Wellesley. Yeah. That's where she uh. went. Yes. Okay, so and where did two... Rahm Emanuel go? No, I'm just no. Kidding. I'm Sarah kidding. Lawrence, Sarah not Lawrence one of the seven sisters. The... I know. Yeah, not all girls. Although I'm sure he could have got into Vassar or <laughs> Wellesley, Barnard, Alex in Hinsdale. Hey, hey good morning, guys. Uh, we've hit a new level of ridiculousness with this, though. That Michelle Obama and Kamala Harris are repressed African American females, uh, and. They, they've made it to the pinnacle of wealth and power, but they're repressed. They went to the most elite schools. They, at that point, and if they really believed what they're peddling as far as the global warming, that we have 12 years left before the seas rise, why would the Obamas buy a $30 million mansion seafront on the East Coast? Right. <laughs> yeah, very good. Thanks for the call, Alex. All right, I'll give you a hint on one of the remaining seven All sisters. Right. Okay, what? Uh, the they uh, the this sister mm-hmm. includes among their famous graduates Eileen Ford, co-founder of Ford Models with her husband John. Anybody? Anybody? Mm. Bueller. And isn't that interesting? The founder of a modeling company, right? Women, because of their beauty. Oh, my God. Went to They're Barnard. Being sexually exploited. Barnard. Oh, Barnard. Barnard is the answer. All right. Still two left, I believe. Andy Hinsdale. I don't know any of the sisters, and I can go to my grave without knowing. But my, my <laughs> Can you really? Can you really? Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. My question is, who, who even values these, these, these goofy colleges and their degrees anymore? I mean, unless it's a hard science, engineering, you know, uh, architecture, something where you actually have to, you know, high-level math, what, what are these degrees even worth? I was in the Union League Club locker room a couple weeks ago, and I overheard two guys talking about one guy was saying how his, his daughter was, she was uh, on track to, to go to this uh, one of the, I, I can't even remember. It, it might have been your alma mater, Northwestern. Okay. I think it was, for, for a journalism degree. And I wanted to go up to the guy and say, why do you hate your money so much that you just want to torch a quarter of a million bucks? Mm-hmm. But you know what? One of the things about these, the big recession that we're about to hit next year is that it, it really starts resetting values. And all these people with these worthless degrees are all going to be working at Starbucks if they can get a job there. And the people with valuable degrees are going to be working for companies. I mean, you're already seeing it. Well, also – also, too, I mean, there was a piece uh, over the weekend, I think it was in the journal, talking about uh, these big companies that are reducing the importance of the undergraduate degree 
and looking at the people to hire, even including for software engineers and so forth. I mean, we're talking about Google and IBM and, you know, big Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies. So, you know, that, that it's I think it's slowly going in that direction, but it's definitely going in that direction where there is less emphasis being placed on these undergraduate degrees, even from, quote unquote, prestigious universities because of exactly what you're saying. Right. Because there's yeah. no there, there's no value in it. They, they, right, they see the actual work product from previous employees they've had from these colleges and like, what exactly are we paying for? Uh, thanks for the call, Andy. All right, there's still, trivia. still two left. Catherine Hepburn graduated from this college in 1928. Which one is it? Well, is it? Is it it's one, one we that, haven't mentioned yet. Well, um, we, we might have, though. Well, if <laughs> it, it, it has to be the only one we haven't mentioned would is? be... Um, would be Bryn Mawr. Bing. One. Got it. Yeah, Bryn Mawr. And then this is the tough one. All right. What? What do you got? Um, well, should I tell? Should I wait? Should I tell? Well, who's a famous alum? Who's? You know, actually, I don't know a famous alum from this one. You know, okay. I, could, I I only know so many famous alums from so many <laughs> of the seven sisters. Um, the the this is actually um, technically the eighth, but it's considered. One of the seven sisters. Now, scholars disagree on this. All right, hold on a second. George and Niles, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hi, I've got the answer. Yeah. The seven. Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, uh, Hortz Buckle, the Magnificent Seven. Right, yes. The seven oh. sisters, as the seven sisters as the Magnificent Seven oh. were not known. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, right. this Thanks. last school is some very famous alum: Nancy Reagan, Barbara Bush, and what Gloria that? Steinem. Yeah, of course, Gloria uh, Steinem. Tammy Baldwin. Right. Let's go, lesbians. Uh, what, and what school is? And what school is Julia that? Julia Child. Thanks for the it call. It is a Smith. I already mentioned Smith. Oh, nice try. Darn. No, th- those seven are they seven? But they, I, I see Agnes Scott included in. The seven sisters to make it the eighth sister, the sister nobody talks oh. about. Again, you know, uh, Leninist arts collegiate scholars like myself disagree on this. It's a running debate. I'm sure you're interested in more detail. Deb and Lombard, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. I love love your show. Um, is, did anybody mention Bryn Mawr? Yes. Yes, we did. Just, just called. Radford? Bryn Mawr has been called. Radcliffe has been called. Vassar? Yep. Vassar has been called. called. They've Smith? all been called now. Yeah. Barnard? Barnard's yep. been called. Okay. Well, our son's longtime ex-girlfriend went to Mount Holyoke on a, of course, you know, a low-income free ride. And we made John work, and he worked his way through college, and we gave him money. And he worked his way through law school. And she would always say, why do you have to – Act like, you know, you respect your parents. And why do you have to be so grateful to your parents? And we were like, oh, my gosh. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. And did she have to get deprogrammed after she got out of Mount Holyoke? No, she got deprogrammed after six years out of our life. Nice. <laughs> Yes. Wow. So so uh, so your son made a choice that said, I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life, I'm guessing. Well, he was working his way, you know, he, Northwestern Law uh, when we were all in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And um, she would lay on the sofa and watch TV in the apartment that we were paying for. 
and we were just like, don't you, don't you think it would help for you to get a job? You went to Mount Holyoke, and she just was like, why are you pushing me to work? I just don't understand that. <laughs> we were uh-huh. just like, Lord help us. <laughs> but 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 please tell me, please tell me, your son wised up and said, "This can't go on." Oh, after six years, he finally did, and uh, he's engaged to a um, finance girl, and you can't squeeze a nickel between them. I mean, it's great. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, very, very yeah. good. Uh, thanks for the call, Deb. Oh, we got a, a text from our program director. He listens to the show. Um, for bonus points, what Greek myth does the seven sisters come oh. from? Uh, I know this. Um, I'll let you answer that. Uh, oh, 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 I know I this. Wait, I got a, I got a mental play. block. John Cass is going to kill me for not knowing this. Uh I can't think of it. Oh no! Come on, you could do it. All right, um, we're gonna we're, let, well, the, let's take the, let's take. I need I need two commercials to think about this, and then we'll come with back. P. Oh, you just looked it up. No, well, the, I had it up here. <laughs> th- thank God for Google. Uh, all right, all right, okay, Alex Trebek. Uh, we'll be or Ken Jennings now. Yeah. Uh, we'll be back with the uh, final Jeopardy answer after this. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM five sixty, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560 The Answer Top of the morning, Dan and Amy Former CIA analyst Bob Baer was on uh, over the weekend on CNN talking about uh, Elon Musk's amnesty for those previously banned on Twitter and suggests that um, free speed, the free speech argument is nonsense and that what Elon Musk is doing is essentially colluding with the Russians. Well, Boris, I can tell you one thing. Putin is going to be all over Twitter. If there's no regulations on this, fake accounts, spoofed accounts, the rest of it, this is a great opportunity for him. And so when he's talking about the popular voice, Musk, he's really talking about Russian intelligence. Um, you know, the Russians are waiting for something like this. They need a propaganda campaign against the United States and against our support for Ukraine. And they're going to be all over Twitter. I guarantee this. Supporting the far right plans, demands to stop arming Ukraine. You just just wait. Well, that's why the pre-Musk Twitter had 7000 people going through these accounts. You can pick them out with algorithms. You can pick them out by looking at them. Uh, you can check IPs and the rest of it, and you simply block them. And it's 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 not right. And, you know, this freedom of speech is just nonsense because you can't go into a movie theater and yell fire. It's against the law. And what Putin's going to do and the Russians is they're going to use this as a vehicle to to save himself in Ukraine. And, you know, whether it's going to work or not, I don't know. But we're going to see as soon as these restrictions come off, we're going to see the Russians all over it, as I just said. You know what I'm struck by? And we've had uh, Robert Baer on the show before when he had a book out. But um, the the whole nature of some of these guys, Frank Figliuzzi, we talked about last week uh, on the FBI side, former FBI agent, 
Bob Bear on the CIA side. You know what strikes me about them? What? Their complete lack of intellectual rigor. What is Bob Bear talking about? Um, Elon Musk is reinstating people on Twitter who are actual people. They're not fake accounts. They're not Russian intelligence officers. They're not bots. They're actual people. Like, former President Trump is an actual human being. He's actually an actual former president. And if he wants to tweet, he'd be tweeting under his account. Or anyone else that's been Project Veritas, anybody else that's been reinstated. So what are you talking about? That's number one. Um, the analogy to fire in a crowded theater is uh, completely disjointed. That holds no water. That makes no sense. Um, there is no imminent threat posed by somebody with an actual account tweeting under their name. No imminent threat to unrest. And third, if I can, I mean, three red herrings and 90 seconds, pretty impressive by Bob Bear. The idea that, you know, a Russian bot account is going to move public opinion away from support for Ukraine against the Russian invasion that is overwhelmingly bipartisan nature, even as billions continue to flow to Ukraine. One uh, Twitter account is going to do that. And, and by the way, I'm not even suggesting that Elon Musk, if he knew it, would not disable those fake accounts because remember when he was pursuing the purchase of Twitter, he thought he was being misled in terms of how many fake accounts there are and he wanted a real accounting of those. He's he's not a free speech absolutist. He just seems like he is because of people like Bob Bear and the other hysterics on cable news channels. This is just absurd. What are you talking about? The the whole thing, it's just like just like uh, whatever it was, seventy five thousand dollars in fake Facebook ads over, you know, Russia overturned the will of the people in 2016 and installed Trump with their seventy five thousand dollar Facebook campaign against the backdrop of you know, a couple of hundred million dollars, well, a couple hundred million, a couple billion dollars that was spent between the two campaigns. I mean, these are unserious people in serious times. For more on this, pleased to be joined by Kevin Brock, former assistant FBI director for Counter Intel. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, Dan, Amy, how are you? Good morning. And uh, I'm sorry I dozed off during Mr. Bear's soundbite there. I mean, honestly, I've heard it so often. Honestly, uh, and 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 you're, yeah. you know, I don't know if you knew him when he was there. I think we talked about him before. Frank Figliuzzi on over on MSNBC spewing the same fact-free yeah. silliness. Yeah. No, you're. You're exactly right, and it goes, I think, even a little bit deeper than that, Dan, because uh, if I could advise your listeners on how to how to listen to uh, retired guys like me coming out of the FBI and draw some distinctions, um, you know, I've done scores of interviews with cable news networks and, and radio shows like your, yourself. I've never been paid a dime. I mean, you haven't offered me a, a morning donut, Dan, and, uh, and, and, and I don't take money, and I don't want it. And I do that on purpose. These guys have signed up as paid contributors for MSNBC and CNN. And once once that happens, then they are now obligated to create um, controversial statements that will help sell airtime. And so they become mouthpieces for, in this case, in their case, the progressive left. 
and um, they are under pressure to continue to do that. They don't have a, a firm uh, a stance or belief or any type of intellectual insight into these issues any more than Bob the bus driver does. You know, I try to stay in a lane of, all right, this is what the FBI can and can't do. This is what they messed up with. This Here's some perspective on why they may have done this. These guys are now like Frank Faglusi opining on on um, the motivations of a shooter at the, uh, the um, Q Club in, in Denver. So that's a horrible situation. And, and projecting that they must be motivated by right-wing rhetoric. And therefore, the, the subliminal message, and not so subliminal message in many cases, is we have to guard against that kind of rhetoric and we have to shut it down. And he indicts the Tucker Carlson show because the Tucker Carlson show is swamping NBC and CNN in the ratings. And so... It's all a, it's all a, a game. It's attached to money and revenue and, and clicks and and driving business. And um, so I would caution anybody that's listening to some of these former retired to look at what their role is. Are they paid contributors? And 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 kind of view it through that lens. Because don't you agree? It does tarnish the reputation of the FBI by him coming out and saying that you know Tucker Carlson should face civil consequences. If the mass shooter consumes his hateful rhetoric, it's horrible, uh, Amy. Because obviously, from a legal standpoint, even from a civil proceeding standpoint, it would be very difficult to bring a case in that regard. And you would think, and a, a guy that spent twenty-something years in the FBI would know better than to say something like that. But again, he's talking through his hat. He's he's just generating controversial statements because that's what they want him to do. No, it reflects poorly on the FBI. It's embarrassing to the rest of us. Um, he has to live with the reputation that he has inside the FBI, and he knows what that is. And um, But, you know, when you're getting paid a lot of money, you'll, you'll do certain things. Um, I wanted to get to a more serious topic as well. Um, Representative Mike Gallagher, who is a Marine Corps intel officer, is now a Republican from Wisconsin, Republican member of Congress, and Marco Rubio, of course, senator from Florida, have introduced legislation to ban TikTok in this country calling it, uh, Mike Gallagher, calling it digital fentanyl. Uh, and <laughs> and I wonder what your view is on, I mean, even uh, setting aside the question of whether that it's, a, it's appropriate to ban a, uh, a social media platform at all, would that be effective in stopping uh, the CHICOMs from mining data on Americans? Probably not. Uh, TikTok is one of several avenues that they use to gather that data. They've been doing so for years. Um, I have said on numerous occasions that if the Internet weren't invented, China would still be a third world country. Um, They have stolen all of their technology from us and other Western countries. They have built on the backbone of our research and development. Uh, They are a vacuum cleaner when it comes to scarfing up data and using it to their advantage. They passed a law in 2016 mandating that any Chinese citizen must provide information to the state um, uh, of intelligence value. Uh, so any company that's based in China, any company that's doing business in China that has Chinese staff, all of those individuals will be reporting to the MSS and other Chinese intelligence services on stuff that they're gleaning from um, from the data that they generate. All apps generate data. That's how revenue is built today. American companies do it. They're collecting data. Um, in our country, we like to think that the government is not using that data. It's used for private marketing purposes. But it is there and it is available. The door has been open. 
Uh, it is a reality of life. I think what people have to understand is when they download these apps, they should do so with their eyes wide open and understand that their data will be collected and exploited and used. Uh, some people are comfortable with that, uh, depending on the generational values and the way they, they filter life. But, um, you know, that that is a reality that we're dealing with right now, and, and it would be difficult for those on the right to argue, well, we need to shut down those platforms completely when they're arguing the opposite uh, uh, when it comes to Twitter. Yeah, I mean, did did, did do you think that uh, – well, I guess, one, do you think it's a good idea if you want to opine on that? But even if you thought it was a good idea, would it have residual benefit for Americans, for our national security interests? Absolutely it would. Um, it would. And I think that's why the Trump administration looked hard at TikTok and, you know, put in the, the limitations that they, they did put in. Uh, and f- from our standpoint, from a national security standpoint, that has to be considered legitimate and, and, and fair game. Um, so because so 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 it wouldn't know. be it wouldn't be the end of the problem, but it would strike a blow against the Chinese communists and their their advances is what you're saying. Try to slow them down a little bit. Yeah. And 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 just to educate people as to what what this is really going on here. So. Um, China has made clear what their goals are. The, the FBI director has made clear that they're the number one threat to our national security. Um, they want to replace us as the world's dominant superpower, replace her as, as the reserve currency. Uh, they make no bones about it, and they're working diligently to do that. And they're disrupting us on all fronts. They're sending fentanyl in here, uh, and all the chemicals that go into making fentanyl, uh, to, to destroy our, our middle class and um, – rural middle class in this country, and they're doing a good job of it. And and we don't see the type of alarm and action on the part of you know, our current government to, to really react like that. It's very concerning. And do you have uh, any uh, hopes that the protests going on against President Xi right now in China with respect to the COVID zero policies, that do you have any hopes that those go anywhere to destabilize that regime? Historically, they haven't been able to do that. Um, you know, going back to Tiananmen Square, um, that is a strong government. It's a strong centralized government, communist government, and um, they have a stranglehold on that country. Um, the only thing I think more than COVID is if their economy really, really, really starts to tank, which could happen in a, in a controlled economy. Um, then there might be uh, an uprising in sheer numbers that might affect change. But right now, I don't see it, Dan. He is Kevin Brock, former assistant director of Intel for the FBI, former principal deputy director of the National Counterterrorism Center as well. Kevin Brock, thanks as always. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it, Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.